Okay, our speaker today is Elizabeth Wood. Elizabeth's greatest passion is to know God and make him known. She lives in Frisco with her husband of 14 years, Steve, and their two boys, Andrew, 8, and Caleb, 6. She leads at Watermark Community Church in the Nest, a gathering to encourage and equip moms, money-wise, and women's Bible study. Elizabeth works part-time for Young Life Europe in regional development. She loves all things organization, cheering on the Aggies, and enjoying chips and salsa. So please welcome Elizabeth. Thank you. Hi. It is, let's see if I don't spill my tea there. Um, It's good to be here. I love groups of moms. Just getting to sit with a group of moms that's going through what you're going through or has been through it. It's just that good feeling that, um, that you're not alone, you know, to just be encouraged. And so just to start... See if I can figure out how to work this. Okay, so this is my family. I just wanted to introduce y'all a little bit more to them. Steve is my husband, and like she said, we've been married for uh, almost 14 years. I think she said 14. It's almost 14 years, though. And we grew up about five minutes from each other, but we actually met in Colorado serving at a Young Life camp. And then, so Steve is just the fun in our family. He's smart and he's witty. But he brings lots of fun. And with two boys, that fun is often loud and rowdy and crazy. And Andrew is our oldest there. And he is our sports-loving, super competitive, obedient child. And Andrew and I are a lot alike in personality. And so in some cases, that's not so great because it's like looking in a mirror and you see the qualities in yourself that you're like, oh, I still need to work on that one. But in other cases, it's great because I can understand him. And so I get his emotions and his passions and things like that. And then Caleb, our youngest, is our just wild card. You never really know what he's going to do or say. He's my child that if he is like 10 feet from me and I can't hear what he's saying, I get a little bit nervous. Um, And he's pretty funny, just like his daddy too. And so Andrew's eight, so I've been a mom for eight years. Eight years ago, I didn't know what I was getting into. Didn't really know what I was doing, right? And then rewind, about five years from that is when Steve and I got married. And I didn't really know what I was doing then either. So we graduated from A&M, and then just like three or four months later, get married. We're officially adulting, and I don't have a clue. So I'm working at American Airlines over by DFW, and I'm driving this Volvo sedan. And you know when the weather gets a little cooler outside, how the air pressure in your tire can change? Okay, so the light goes on, and I'm like, oh, what's wrong with the car? And Steve says, oh, it's probably the weather. Give it a few days. Well, a few days go by, the light's still on. So he's like, well, I'll take it to go put air in your tire. I say, no, no, I can do that. And he asked me, are you sure you know how to do that? Well, going back to the personality thing, I can also be pretty stubborn. So when he asks me that, I'm like, of course I know how to do that. And by I know how to do that, I mean I have seen people do it at the gas station from like across the parking lot. Like how hard can it be, right? So the next day I go on my way to work. I put my quarter in, start filling up my tire with air, and I just wait. And I'm like okay, this is taking a really long time. My tire must have been a lot lower than I thought. Should I stop it? No, I want to get my quarter's worth. We're just going to let it keep going. Then finally it stops, okay? So I don't think anything of it. I go to work. I come home, and I'm telling Steve, man, my tire was a lot lower than we thought. It took a long time for the air pump to shut off. And he goes, oh, oh, no. What did you do? And he runs out to the garage and checks it with one of those manual gauges. And the dial just shoots out. I mean, it is like over 50. I think it's supposed to be in the 30s maybe, um, which is really dangerous. My tire could have exploded. So I drove on it from Plano all the way to DFW Airport, all the way back to Plano. And I was putting myself in so much danger, and I didn't even know it. And I think we do that more often than we realize. 
We put ourselves in danger without even realizing it. So maybe it's not how much air you're filling your tires with, but what are we filling our heads with? So this morning when you walked in, did you notice maybe how another mom was dressed and think, man, she looks so cute. I just wore my comfies. (laughs) Or maybe like, oh, she washed her hair. Maybe this week I'll take a shower, right? (laughs) Y'all, this comparison thing we do is dangerous. And so today as we start, we're going to talk about contentment. And we're going to start with this dangerous comparison thing that we do. And how comparison can steal our contentment. So just like driving on an overinflated tire is dangerous, comparison is dangerous. Because God has not created us to be the same. He created all of us with unique personalities, unique abilities, unique circumstances. But often we let comparison get in the way of truly believing that. Psalm 139.14 says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know that full well. A lot of us already know this verse. Maybe some of us have it framed in a nursery or on the wall in our kids' room, but I want you to sit and think for a minute. Do you really know that full well? And not just saying those words. Do your actions and your thoughts and your reactions to comparison reflect that you know that full well? Because if we are that precious to God, why do we let comparison negatively affect us? Things were going great until I saw her, and then I don't look good enough. Or I was doing great even getting here this morning, and then I saw her, and I'm just not doing enough. Paul refers to these desires in Ephesians 4 as deceitful desires. So either they're deceitful and that they aren't good things, but today we're going to talk about how a lot of times they're deceitful just in their priority. So we've got them out of order in our head. They're literally disordered. So we'll call these disordered desires. So what we really feel is most important isn't what is really most important. And these disordered desires are going to distract us from truth and tempt us to compare ourselves to others. So James 1 Verses 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So these disordered desires, whatever is most important to you, could be where you're comparing yourself to other women. So it could be their appearance, maybe how their hair is done the makeup that they wear, the clothes that they wear, or maybe the kind of car that they drive, where they live, how much they can get done in a day, or maybe how their husband pursues them romantically, or the vacations that they get to go on. I mean, the list of things that we can compare is exhausting. And that's just touching the surface, right? Comparison is nothing new, but it's dangerous when we compare with these disordered desires. Because to start, we don't really know what's going on in somebody else's life, right? So we're comparing our real life to their best life. And this is a given, I think, on social media. Everybody wants to put their best picture forward, maybe with all the filters and things like that. But still, we get sucked in by it. I mean, how often do you put your kids down and then start scrolling or maybe while you're nursing, you're scrolling through social media. And at the end, instead of feeling filled up or connected, because I know that's why a lot of us say we're on social media, right? To be connected. Instead, you feel like, oh man, I don't look good enough. Our day wasn't good enough. I'm not doing enough. And it's not just on social media. It can happen in real life too. I remember a couple of years ago, I was babysitting my sweet niece, Shiloh. Look how cute she is. 
And I had gone to the grocery store with her, and it was around the holiday time. And the cashier just kept going on and on about how we were going to have the best Christmas with this new baby. And how the holidays were just going to be so special. And I just smiled, and I was like, yeah. But what she didn't know was that, well, first, I didn't correct her and tell her she's not my daughter, that she's my niece. (laughs) So that's the first thing, okay? But then the second thing was that Shiloh has Down syndrome, and she was having open-heart surgery a couple weeks later. And so what she saw, this, this sweet little baby with a pink bow in her hair, was what she thought was reality, but this was reality. And now, praise God, the surgery was successful, and Shiloh is a quick moving, almost three-year-old now. But she didn't know what our real life was. And so think, how often does somebody say, how are you? Good morning. How's it going? And you say, doing good. I'm fine. When really, you're at your max disciplining your kids. Or you and your husband are right in the middle of a conflict. And now I'm not saying go unload on the grocery store cashiers or everybody that says, how's it going? But what I am saying is let's be mindful of that and not get sucked in. Let's not get sucked into comparing our real life to their best life. But even if we know what's going on underneath the surface, so maybe it's a close friend of yours or somebody in your family, we shouldn't feel better or worse about ourselves because of how we measure up to others. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's no in-between. If we are fully loved by God, then it doesn't matter what size clothes you wear when the last time you washed your hair was, or even how much you can get done during the day. So this was us a couple of years ago at Christmas. Just an example of, um, you know, social media and putting your best picture forward. I was trying to do that here, okay? So this was at our Christmas Eve service at our church. And the thing is, is I I felt like I was already compromising enough because my boys aren't in matching outfits and they're in that stage where they only want to wear athletic clothes. I don't know if any of y'all can feel me yet on that, but so they compromise. They're wearing the itchy jeans that they can't run a race in, but they're still wearing like Under Armour shirts. Okay. So that was enough of my compromise, but then our little wild card doesn't want to take the picture. And so what we get is a picture of him doing his thing, and then Steve in the middle of a training moment, and then my obedient, self-aware child just thinking, oh, this is not going well here. But what I love about this picture is, like, look at me. I'm just smiling. Like, (laughs) everything is great. Nothing to see here, right? Because I wanted it to be so perfect. That y'all, peace isn't found in performing or in perfection, but in a seeking a perfect God who meets us in our mess. Let me say that again. Peace isn't found in performing or perfection, but in seeking a perfect God who meets us in our mess. But comparison isn't just the evil here. An article from Desiring God describes it this way. Leading our comparisons in the right direction, away from envy and pride and self-pity and towards Christ-like imitation and the fear of God can lead us into better parents, mentors, and friends. So it's not realistic to never notice anyone else's differences. And that's not how the body of Christ was designed, right? We all have different gifts. But instead of looking at those differences and making them feel, make us feel bad or even good about ourselves, 
we should let them encourage us. And so if you see the mom who just like rocks it at the meal planning thing, and you do crispy tacos and spaghetti and chicken fingers or whatever else is easiest, then rather than looking at her and thinking like, man, I'm a really terrible housewife, go towards her. Be thankful that she's got that gift that she can serve her family. And then use her meal plan, right? Ask her to help you. Y'all, I have this friend that every time I bake chicken, I call her and I'm like, what temperature is it supposed to get to again? And I call it my good enough chicken because it's like, it's just good enough. Um, So I'm on that spectrum of like, I'm not the best cook here, but I have these friends that are, and that's great. Help me, help me do that, you know? The only way to recognize others' differences in a healthy way is if you're truly content. If you know full well that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Comparison can steal our contentment, but it doesn't have to. And it won't if your contentment is found in Christ alone. So contentment is found in Christ alone. Let me start by just defining contentment. The dictionary defines it as a state of satisfaction. So not being happy with, not loving, but being satisfied with your circumstances, who you are, things that you have. But we know that this world is a broken place, full of hardships, conflicts, difficulties, So how can we just be satisfied in those things? (coughs) Excuse me. How can we be content when day after day we face unmet expectations and disappointments? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Being content, being satisfied in Christ means focusing on the one thing that never changes. That if we believe that we're part of the mess in this world, that we're part of the sin in this world, but reconciled to God through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, then we have the hope of eternity with him. With no more conflict, no more unmet expectations, no more disappointments. And so our satisfaction comes from focusing on those things and not on things of this world. (coughs) Excuse me. So what is actually most important is loving God, loving others, focusing on those eternal things. And I think a lot of us believe this to be true, but still we look for contentment in other places because our hearts are deceitful. So we believe that contentment is found in Jesus, but we have these disordered desires over here and we allow things, people and circumstances, the power to give and take away our contentment. So we believe God's truth. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things just come in and choke it out. So practically, here's the first step to finding contentment in Christ. To find contentment in Christ, we've got to think through all the other places that we may look for contentment. Isaiah 55.2 says this. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. So let me paint this picture for you guys. So you wake up at 630 and you think Jesus is enough. I am content. I'm satisfied. But then by 730, your toddler has already had three meltdowns about what to wear, what to eat for breakfast, what spoon to eat it with. The baby's crying and there's a potty accident. Do you still believe Jesus is enough? Are you still focused on eternal things? 
Or do you find yourself thinking, if only I got a break. If only my child wouldn't throw fits. If only my child was just potty trained, then I would be content. Once we get there, then I'll be content. Or if only my husband appreciated me, then I would be content. What is it for y'all? I wish that I could say that as I was thinking through these things, I was, you know, thinking about you guys and maybe where you might go for contentment. But the truth is, on any given day, I'm, I'm all of those things. But contentment is found in Christ alone. And y'all, all of those things, none of those things are bad things, right? It's great when our kids are potty trained. But all of those things left unchecked at the end of your if-only sentence is where we may look for fulfillment that only God can give. And the thing is, you may get what you're hoping for. I mean, my kids are eight and six, so I can attest they'll eventually be potty trained. They'll eventually sleep through the night, right? But there's always going to be something else. So I want you to think back. Think in your head. Think back five years. Think back 10 years. Where were you? What were you doing? What is something that you really, really wanted? It's probably really different today. So for me, 10 years ago, my husband was going to grad school in San Antonio, but I was still working for American out by the airport. And so that meant that we had this like two city situation where I would work from home in San Antonio a couple of days a week, fly up here, work here a couple of days a week, which meant we kept one car in San Antonio and one car in Dallas. So yes, this is another car story. I promise I'm learning how to adult better with cars, but The problem with this situation is that my husband's car was a standard, one of those manual transmissions, and I had no idea how to drive that. And so this whole situation meant that I had to learn how to drive that. And so my sweet husband of about three years taught me how to drive a stick shift. And it was awful. I mean, awful. Not like he was sweet and he was hilarious and witty and patient, but I was awful, like awful at driving it. But then just awful in my mind and my heart about it. I mean, I wanted more than anything to just be done with that car. To be done with our time in two cities. And looking back on that, so we're 10 years from there, we don't have that car anymore. We're done with that time in two cities. But I look back and I think, man, even though I had to take different routes to work to avoid certain hills in rush hour so that I wouldn't stall out That was some of the sweetest time in our marriage. And we really persevered well together then. And guys, there's other things that I want now. It's different now. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. So we've got to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and focus only on Jesus. And so I brought this suitcase here, and we're going to think of it as the contentment suitcase, all right? And so we know that no matter what happens in the circumstances around us, we know that we can be content in Christ alone. We can be content in Jesus. And so I'll unzip this, and you can see... That it's full with Jesus, okay? Bear with me here. So it's full because of Jesus. But still, we have these other things that we still try to shove in there too. So, like, have you guys ever been on a trip where you pack your suitcase, and then when you're done packing, you step on the bathroom scale, and you think, oh, how close am I to the 50 pounds? And then you start rearranging until you realize, like, some stuff's just not going to fit. Okay, so if we let Jesus fill our contentment suitcase, this other stuff's just not going to fit. And so I want you to think through what it may be. Is it your husband pursuing you romantically or appreciating you that you're trying to fit in your suitcase? 
Is it your child sleeping through the night? Or maybe your kid behaving more? What about a clean house? If only my house could just stay clean, then I would be content. I would be satisfied. What about financial stability? Once we can get, once we can get that house, then I'll be satisfied. Once we can pay for this, then, then I'll be content. Or is it your appearance? If I could lose 10 pounds, then I'll be content. Or maybe you've got a lot of family drama. If I just had no more family drama, then I would be content. Or what about a healthy child? Or a healthy parent? Then I'd be content. If those things were just better, then I'd be content. Or maybe it's a new baby. If I, if I just had a new baby, then I would be content. And y'all, all of these things, you can see they're good things. They're gifts. But none of them are the gift that's going to make you say, I never need another gift again. None of them are going to make us truly content, truly satisfied. And none of them, they're not going to fit in your contentment suitcase. When we were getting ready to um, have our second son, Caleb, I was packing my suitcase for the hospital. And I thought, let's see. Where's the picture? There we go. Um, so I thought, is our second son. I thought I really knew what I, what I needed. I was reading all the latest posts about, like, what's the cutest nursing gown, the best nursing pillow, the best slippers to push the little bassinet through the hospital halls, you know. And so I, I thought I had the perfect suitcase, right? Well, the day comes, we welcome Caleb into the world, and we had him at Medical City Dallas, like, just right over here. And so if you guys have been there, you know that the labor and delivery rooms are in one building. Postpartum is in another building. And so they're connected by this small hallway, but you have to park in two different places for them. And so we decided, okay, once I move to the postpartum rooms, then Steve is going to go down, move the car, bring the suitcases up. So he goes down, moves the car, comes back up, no suitcase. I'm like, hey, where's the suitcase? So he's flustered. You know, we just had a baby. No big deal. He'll go back down and get the suitcase. He leaves and comes back maybe two minutes later. And he says, I just dropped the keys down the elevator shaft. And I was like, what does that even mean? So, you know, that tiny gap in the floor from like, you're standing on the floor and then you step over that gap to get in. Yes. Okay. Our keys took an eight-story dive down to the bottom. And so my perfectly packed suitcase with my nursing pillow and my cute nursing gown with the robe and my toothbrush were not going to make it in. But guess what? Turns out the hospital has everything you need to spend the night there. And I realized that while everything in my suitcase was good, it didn't really matter because I was so focused on my purpose, my identity there. It didn't matter that those things didn't make it in and that I'm wearing the hospital gown in all my pictures. Did y'all even notice? Some of y'all probably did. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Jesus is the only thing that can fill us for the long haul. And so let's stop trying to shove other things in there too. Because things in this world aren't meant to satisfy us, but to point us to God who can. Romans fifteen thirteen says, May the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are truly satisfied in him. Contentment is found in Christ alone. And then next, contentment takes cultivation. And so once you've thought through your if-only sentence, or maybe you identified with some things that I was putting in the suitcase, now let's do something about it. Because contentment in Christ isn't a one-and-done type of thing. It's not a decision where you say, I'm going to be content, and then you actually are content. It takes cultivating to care for it, to pay attention to it, to be aware of it, to be mindful of it. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's writing from prison, but joy is this dominant theme in his letter. And in Philippians 4, he tells us, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And so now at this point in Philippians, Paul is pretty much a rock star. Like he's a fully devoted follower of Christ. But I want you to look closely. He doesn't just say, I'm happy with my circumstances. I like them. He doesn't even say, I am content with them. He says, I have learned to be content. It's a process. And an attitude of gratefulness over entitlement goes a long way to being content. And so one thing we can do is keep a gratefulness journal. Write it on notes around your house. Model gratefulness to your kids by regularly sharing things that you're thankful for. We do this at our house. And a lot of times my boys are thankful for things like getting to play outside at recess or soccer balls or Batman toys. But sometimes... Sometimes they're thankful for things that really matter. Things, things that are good, pure, lovely, true. Another way to cultivate contentment is to think about what stirs contentment up and what chokes it out. So to cultivate contentment, thinking about what stirs up your contentment. Is it a certain friend group, TV show? That stirs your contentment. If your husband appreciating you is at the end of your if-only scenario, then hanging out with friends who respect their husbands, who don't complain about their husbands, that'll go a long way to moving you towards contentment to your husband. Thinking about all the blessings that you do see in your husband, the way that the Lord is using him, will help you be content in any situation with him. Or what chokes out contentment? Maybe a new home is at the end of your if-only sentence. If only we could just move into this house, then I'll be content. I'll be satisfied then. It would be wise to not watch HGTV. To not drive through that neighborhood just one more time. Let's take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I heard it explained this way one time, and it really stuck with me. And she said, you don't take captive a kitten, you take captive a tiger. So this is a big deal. Our thoughts are not easily captured. And so we can't just go, I'm not going to think about these things. We've got to go on the offense and replace the lies in our head with the truth from God's word. So when those thoughts creep in your head, that you just aren't good at this mom thing, or if only your husband knew how great you were, stop there. Just stop and pray and ask God to help you see truth in that situation. Read his word. Pray scripture like we heard earlier this morning to remind yourself of that truth. God is sovereign over every detail in our lives, and he is good. But I know a lot of times we've got to pray and ask him to help us see that. Ask him to help you really believe that. And the other thing you can do is bring others into your mess too. Whether it's, it's friends in your small group here that you can say, hey, I'm putting appearance into my suitcase. Help me with that. So that then on those days 
or you're just not feeling so great, she can encourage you and remind you of truth in those moments. Psalm 90:14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. So one thing that tends to rob my contentment is perfectionism. So I know that I am saved by grace through faith. It is nothing that I can do, but it is a gift of God. But still I find myself just doing, doing, doing. And I think that's so common in the mom world. Because we want to be a good mom. We just get mixed up on what that really is. I mean, is it cloth diapers or regular diapers, breastfed, bottle fed, preschool, private school, public school? I mean, the list goes on. But our kids don't need to see a perfectly clean house with perfectly cooked mood meals and, and Pinterest perfect activities at playdates. But they need to see a mom who relies on a perfect savior. And so here's what that looks like for me. When I feel perfectionism going out the window, which in a house with two boys, that happens quite a bit, um, then I just have to stop. I have to stop and pray. Sometimes I even have to tell them, hey, mommy, mommy needs a timeout real quick. And step aside, pray, remind myself of truth so that I can step back into that situation and love them and train them the way that God has called me to. And a lot of times I fall short. And so then what that looks like is me going to them and saying, hey, mommy messed up. Mommy chose things over people in this situation. And I know that it doesn't matter that the water got spilled all over the floor. Will you forgive me? And that happens a lot more than I wish it did. But the truth is, when we have to go to our kids and ask for forgiveness for them, we're a living example of the gospel. We're saying, hey, I am not perfect, but there's a God who is. And because he loved me and forgave me, I can do the same. So when my boys are acting crazy, another thing that I do um, is I start vacuuming. Because it drowns out the noise, like the screaming sometimes. (laughs) But also, that's something I can control in that moment. That, That at the end, I have visual proof that I have succeeded at something. Because there's vacuum lines in my carpet, right? But that is just an escape. In that moment, I am choosing instant gratification Instant feelings of accomplishment over faithfulness in the long term. Because our kids, we may see glimpses of fruit in our kids, and that is great. And just God's grace, a gift in our life that we do get to see some of that. But the truth is we're not going to see the finished product or the vacuum lines. Because just like us, we're works in progress. And so we've got to find contentment. Not in the success of our day. Not in how many times they listened and obeyed well or how many times they were sent to time out. But we've got to find contentment in Christ. Our kids are our first ministry. And they don't know if they're birthday parties or Pinterest perfect or if their nurseries were decorated by Joanna Gaines. Because that's not what truly matters, right? Our disordered desires are muddying up the water there. Spurgeon said, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, We must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. When Caleb was about four years old, um, he started having these terrible two moments again. Like on the regular, these fits were happening every time he didn't get his way. Lots of screaming and lack of self-control. And so I take him on a breakfast date. 
to one of his favorite places, Einstein Bagels. And you can see how happy he is because he's lactose intolerant. But if you give him a little bit of cream cheese, it is like the best thing ever. Okay. So I take him on a breakfast date and we're sitting there and I say, hey, buddy, I've noticed that you've had a bad habit of losing self-control lately. Like when things don't go your way, you're not controlling your emotions well. And I want to help you with that. What do you think we should do? And being my witty child that he is, he quickly responds with, what about forgiveness? You know who forgave? God did. And I was like, well, yes. But we still need to work on self-control, right? But the truth is, he's right. Because just like we need God's grace and forgiveness so that we're not separated from him for eternity, we need his grace to live the way he calls us to right now. We need his grace to be content right now. Because no matter how much self-discipline or willpower we have, we can only be content for so long if we're just white-knuckling it. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be content. To truly be content and fulfilled in Christ is only possible through a deep step-by-step connection with him. We've got to spend time getting to know him. Spend time reading God's word. Spend time praying. Really spend time getting to know him. And so for me to fight the urge to strive for perfectionism, I start each day with this book from Paul David Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies. It's a devotional. And It reminds me every single day of my need for a savior and how his grace just lavishes me so that I can start my day being content in Christ. Guys, I realize that some of you sitting there may be thinking, I wish the only thing I was trying to put in my suitcase was perfectionism or 10 pounds Because you're going through a really hard season. Maybe it's infertility or miscarriages or some deep marriage wounds. And I just want to encourage you to cultivate contentment in the same way. To read God's word, pray the scripture like we heard earlier. So when you read his word and then five minutes later, those thoughts creep in your head again, do it again. And then five minutes after that, when it happens again, do it again. And five minutes after that, do it again. Read God's word out loud, staring into the mirror until you believe it. Ask him to help you believe it. Because remember, it's not you that needs to be stronger. It's only through, through God's grace that we can have the strength to be content. Contentment takes cultivation. And then last, contentment is contagious. So have y'all ever heard your words come out of your oldest child's mouth? Fascinating, right? So we often get to hear my six-year-old parent, our four-year-old neighbor, Charlotte, the way that I do, like the exact phrases that I have used. And so he'll say things like, Charlotte, that won't go well for you. Or Charlotte, are you being teachable? Charlotte asked and answered. Or Charlotte, please stop. That's so annoying. And y'all, I heard that one and I was like, no, I say that. Oh, no. So I don't say that one anymore. It's not nice, even with the please on it. Little ears are listening. And so if we are not modeling contentment, our kids pick up on that. If we're constantly talking about things that we don't have or things that we want, our kids see it. Or if you look at yourself in the mirror with disgust or are constantly trying to change your appearance, then your daughter may have a hard time believing that she's fearfully and wonderfully made regardless of what she sees in the mirror. Moms set the mood of the house a lot of times, and this is so true with contentment also. 
Deuteronomy 4.9 says, be careful and watch yourselves. Did I skip that verse? There we go. Closely. So that you do not forget the eyes, your, the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So this is Andrew back in the fall. He broke his ankle bone. And that took my super competitive, sports-loving kid out for the whole soccer season. And y'all, he didn't even cry when he broke his ankle. But when we were sitting in the doctor's office and they told him how long he would be out, that's when the tears filled his eyes. And so we had a lot of conversations at home about contentment. And how while God has given you all these abilities that make you great at sports, those things don't define you. Those characteristics in you that reflect God, your identity in Christ, that's what defines you. And the truth is every day we attach our identity to something, either in creation or in the creator. And so what's it going to be? And I'll tell you for Andrew, a gift for me was that he was joyful this whole time. I mean, he humbly and happily crawled up and down our stairs every day. He made up new games to play with his friends at recess with his crutches. And that was a gift to my mom heart. That was some of the fruit that I can see. It may be a tiny little vacuum line there. But then shortly after, before he was even done with physical therapy, I broke my foot So then I had to actually show him, not just with my words, but with my actions. And it was hard. So my eight-year-old made climbing up and down the stairs look a lot easier than it is. And some days were good, and some days I was focused on things that really mattered. But a lot of times, I was grumpy, and there was tears But that's okay because, like I said, our kids don't need to see this perfect mom that's just happy all the time, that's content all the time. But as Paul was saying in in Philippians that we're learning to be content, show your kids a mom that's fighting for contentment and things that really matter. Contentment is also one of the best gifts that a wife can give her husband. We can really bless them in this area, but we've got to be careful with our words that they build our husbands up, that they're benefiting our husbands. Because what we may see as innocent comments or complaints may really stick with them. Words matter. So if we're complaining about our car not being the best or not having enough storage space in our house, They may see that as much more. And if your husband's the primary financial provider of your family, this can really add a lot of stress to them. So we've got to be on guard with our words. And y'all, I have thought about this for a while. And even just a couple weeks ago, I had yet another example of just not being careful with my words. So we're sitting outside. It was one of those cold nights. We're sitting on our back patio and with our, both of our kids, and we bought this house about a year and a half ago with the plans to put in a pool eventually, but we haven't done that yet. So we're sitting out there and I said, man, sure would be nice if we were sitting in the hot tub right now when it's so cold. And then the conversation kind of carried on. And then the next day I realized, man, what did I, why did I say that? Because then my husband goes to looking at, well, how much does it cost to put in a pool in a hot tub again? When are we planning on doing that? And that's not what I meant. And so what was a perfectly great evening sitting on the back patio, hanging out with our kids? I turned into something that wasn't a culture of contentment. Because in that moment, I wasn't on guard with my words to make sure that I was cultivating that in our family. You and your spouse are probably pretty different too, right? Just like we talked about in the very beginning, we're all created uniquely. And so you may put the dishes in the dishwasher one way, and then he comes back and puts them a different way, or the way you hang up clothes in your closet one way, he does it another way, right? And so 
Communication is key here to better understand each other and to be open with expectations of things. Because I want you to think if you just drew the circle around yourself and thought about what's inside that circle, so just you, would you find that because of our disordered desires, because we aren't truly content in Christ, that we're putting unfair or unreasonable expectations on our husbands. An easy way to figure that out is if, if your contentment is rocked when those expectations aren't met, to really think through what they are. And some of them may be good that you can express and you can talk through, and others of them, as you're thinking through, you may realize are just based on those disordered desires. So let's be so content with who we are in Christ that we can love our husbands and our kids just out of the overflow of our heart. We want the best for our kids and for our family, right? That's probably why you're here. That and the awesome breakfast back there. The best for our kids is the same best for us. To recognize that we are sinners separated from God, but through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, Not only can we be in fellowship with him for all of eternity, but he can satisfy us in the beautiful trenches of motherhood. Through his grace alone, as Paul prays in Ephesians 3, can we grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So let's not tie our contentment to things that come and go, to circumstances that change. In this comparison culture, true contentment is found in Christ alone. Contentment takes cultivating, and contentment is contagious. So that's all I've got for there, you guys. Do y'all have any questions? I just want to open it up if you have any questions or um want me to clarify anything that I said? No takers? Okay. Well, thank you again for having me. I mean, like I said in the beginning, just being with a group of moms just fills me up. I mean, to sit and realize that other moms are going through it too. Um, and that we can probably all relate to a lot of those things in the suitcase. So thank you.